0: Welcome to Just Be, Matters of Justice and Biblical Equality. I'm your host, Krista Lusage. In each episode here, we explore themes of equality and partnership between men and women in the Bible and in the world today. Just Be is unlike other podcasts in that we go on deep dives into our biblical and philosophical ideas on equality and consider why doing this is relevant for Today. Today's deep dive is in the peculiar, women are not allowed to speak passage of 1 Corinthians 14. In this episode, I will share several plausible ways of understanding this particular passage. You'll have to listen to part two of this topic in the next episode, number 17, where I respond to the ways that some people have attempted to use these verses to exclude women from various forms of leadership. Here's a verse to help get us going today from the beginning of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. It says, For in him, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech. For many of us, the notion of gender equality was never expressly taught to us in our churches. And in fact, maybe some of us have been taught that the Bible promotes what I consider to be a version of gender inequality, best known by the more seemingly innocuous term, complementarity. People who teach complementarity tend to focus on the said roles that men and women distinctly play in society, church, and home, and that these roles complement one another. But in reality, what they really teach in general is that some will lead and others will follow. And by some, I mean men, and by others, I mean women. I think it's really hard to study the Bible and come away with this narrow view of supposed gender roles unless you approach the Bible with this view already firmly in mind, and then try to find proof texts to support this view. Unfortunately, and I mean this really and truly, unfortunately, this has been just the thing many Christians have traditionally done for many, many years. Today's passage has been fraught with difficulty as scholars attempt to discern its exact meaning and implication. I'll read you the passage and then we'll explain a few different theories as to what is actually going on here. So 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty-four through 35, if you have your Bibles open, I'm reading from the NIV, it says, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now that sounds pretty harsh, but keep in mind, of course, women speak in church. No one actually believes that this is a call for universal silence. We all come at this with a grain of salt, taking in the context clues to figure out what this passage means. But when someone like John MacArthur reads this, They feel this reinforces their general pattern of limiting the things women are allowed to say and do in church, because certainly women sing or speak or talk at his church. Here's what he actually says in a little snippet of the sermon he preached on why he feels women shouldn't be preachers. They, verse 34, are not permitted to speak. Anybody who doesn't understand that um, is just obscuring what is crystal clear. So I just want to make sure that you know, we're not trying to obscure the scriptures. In fact, we really are trying to find out what they mean. And in doing that, we're going to take a look at some of the original language that the people who translate the Bible have available to look at. John MacArthur's basically saying that this particular translation pulled from the overall context and read in isolation, translated the way that he would like it to be interpreted, is all there is. He seems to imply that there's no sense in even studying this any further. But Really, not even John MacArthur takes this to mean absolutely what it says. If that were the case, women in his church would not be able to make any audible noise in his church whatsoever. It says silent, so that would mean no singing, no greeting, no whispering to your kids if they need to be settled down. So let's just get that out of the way. There are lots of ideas on ways to understand this passage, but everyone agrees that Paul doesn't actually mean that women need to be silent 100% of the time, at least in the way that our English translations sort of bluntly put it. And I think that he would agree with me on that. Let's back up a bit and consider some things Paul has already clearly stated in this letter. He includes women in being essential members of the body of Christ. No one can say to the other, I have no need of you or your spiritual gift. Women are included in the lessons about spiritual gifts, which includes spoken ministries because women pray, they speak in tongues, and they prophesy. This is all clearly spelled out in chapters 12 through 14. In the immediate context of these verses, Paul is correcting the Corinthian church on a number of problems, and he's been addressing things like chaotic and disorderly gatherings. For example, because these gatherings are so haphazard and disorganized, some people get there early and they eat and they drink, while by the time the poorer day laborers would arrive after they finish their shift, they get there and there's like no food left and there's nothing to drink. That's from chapter 11, verse 21. In some ways, it seems to me that these gatherings were loosely organized, resembling more of a church supper meets a cocktail party, where a lively and informative conversation is going on in one corner and in the other corner, people are eating, swapping stories about the day. Some are just rushing around, waiting on people, while in another corner, maybe people are praying and sharing prophetic words to one another. And this is all happening at the same time. You can see how this wouldn't be an entirely efficient or effective way to minister to the congregation. It's like, when you're at a party and you just want to have some meaningful conversations with all the people there who you're excited to see, but when it's just so noisy and chaotic and all that's happening at the same time, it's really hard to do that. So it's like Paul is recognizing that people have so much to offer to share, which is a good thing, but if they all do it at the same time, who can really be benefited by it? So Paul explains when things are done in an orderly way, everyone can benefit. His presiding theme, especially in chapters 12 through 14, is functional unity. Chapter 14, verse 40 says, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. As for being united, Paul likens the people of the church to a single body. Paul says, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. As such, verse 21 teaches that one cannot say to the other... I have no need of you. In fact, 14, verse 12 says, Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. And he doesn't specify the men of the church or the women of the church, just everybody. Spiritual gifts are designed to strengthen and edify the body of Christ. And by body, we mean us, his followers. There is no mention, mind you, of gender-specific spiritual gifting anywhere in the New Testament, nor are there gender-specific restrictions on how the Holy Spirit can employ and use our spiritual gifts. God does not place limits on himself and how he chooses to use his people. Instead, Paul encourages all of the church to desire the greater gifts, most importantly, love, And he reiterates this in chapter 14, verse 1, saying, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. But what is prophecy? Don't think of it always as like a mysterious fortune telling or mountaintop experience. Paul explains what it is in verse 3. He says, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Well, that sounds like something all of us could try to do with God's grace and wisdom. In fact, Paul says in verse 31, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. It's like getting the exact advice or teaching that you needed to hear that day. John Temple Bristow in his book, What Paul Really Said About Women, describes the prophecy spoken of here as simply telling people what God wants them to hear. It is preaching that is inspired. And the sign of the new age, that's the new covenant, According to the prophet Joel, and according to the apostle Peter, is the pouring out of God's spirit so that both men and women may speak for God. Check out Acts 2 for more about that. Bristow goes on to say, It would be strange indeed if the church under the apostles regarded this as a sign of the new age in Christ, And then forbade women the right to give inspired messages to the church. And in fact, it was not until later, after the age of the apostles, when the Greek attitude about women became dominant within the church, that women were forbidden to preach. So it looks like culture found a way into the church fairly soon on. So why does Paul include these verses directed at women? One theory suggested by scholars Philip Payne, Gordon Fee, Craig Keener, and Graham Joseph Hill and others is that these particular verses represent the influence of Greek culture and were actually added by a scribe and are not original to Paul. And while some of you might be feeling pretty uncomfortable with that idea, they actually have some compelling reasons for this. The early manuscripts show this particular passage, it's a note in the margin, and sometimes it doesn't show up until the end of the chapter, so it's not always in the same place in each manuscript. Also, the tone of the argument seems kind of out of place, like it feels random, popped in there. If you read straight from verse 33 and then move to 36, the argument actually flows very nicely. Where Paul is addressing that they take turns talking so that everyone can be heard and everyone can be instructed and encouraged by one another, it actually flows nicely into verse 36 where he says, or did the word of God originate with you? As if to say like, how dare you think you don't need to hear what other people have to say? It does seem strange that in that passage where Paul's very point is about taking turns and listening to what each person has to say, whether, and verse 26 says, it be a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation done to strengthen and edify the church, that he would then turn around and silence at least half of the congregation who were women. Another factor that makes this passage suspicious is the phrase, as the law says, because there actually was no such law be it Hebrew or Roman at this time. So you could say a meddling scribe might have been referring to a saying of Aristotle, who said, silence is a woman's glory. Lots of people just aren't comfortable with the idea of scrapping these verses altogether. And especially because there are actually a few other plausible explanations for why Paul changes his focus and tone at this point. Also, maybe the original version, Paul added something in the margin, like when you're writing a letter and you think of one more thing that you want to pop in and you put it in the margin, but it doesn't quite flow as nicely, but you say, well, they'll get the point. So let's try and figure out what that point was. Another explanation for the abrupt change in tone is that Paul is actually quoting one of their own sayings in these verses. Like you say the law says that women should remain silent in the churches or your general cultural practice is that women should remain silent in the churches. but." I say in verse 36, like disapprovingly shaking my head and wagging my finger, did the word of God originate with you? Like, come on. Since they didn't use quotation marks in the Greek, it's possible that that is precisely what Paul was doing. But there are still other good explanations that are plausible as to why these verses are here. We want to answer the question, what did Paul really say and what did Paul really mean? So here we go with another idea that I think most of you will be the most comfortable with. Let's start with the context. Keep in mind that a recurring theme of chapters 11 through 14 is propriety and orderliness in church gatherings. Paul has corrected the church for making sure they are all dressed appropriately. This was in chapter 11, covered in the last episode, if you want to check it out. He has instructed them to participate in using their gifts, be it speaking in tongues, prophesying, or praying, but in an orderly way, one at a time, so that everyone can hear and benefit from what is being said. Women are definitely included in the encouragements to use their words to edify the rest of the group. I would also include, in this context, Paul does not address the matter of preaching, especially the kind that resembles what we do in our American church service with a sermon and a podium and a special pastor. So even to use this verse as an argument against that, well, that's nowhere in this immediate context either, right? He addresses women specifically. And when Paul does this in verse 34, he isn't necessarily saying all women all the time. And we know this because he's actually known for making generalizations when addressing a situation. For example, in Titus, when he says the Cretans are lazy Clintons, of course, he's not saying that all Cretans are always lazy and for all time. And when he tells the men in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, not to be angry, certainly not all the men were angry, Right. So maybe he's not telling all women to be silent all the time, like some people have suggested. I imagine it more like a teacher might call out a group of mischievous students who are talking amongst themselves, like girls or boys. Certainly. This is not an indictment against all the boys or all the girls in the class, but generally there tends to be little groups of girls or groups of boys who are chatting on the side and you just call them out real quickly that way. Maybe this is what Paul was doing. And remember, we're in the setting of a house church, not pews and rows facing forward. Certainly, this kind of gathering was indeed an exciting social opportunity for women who mostly stayed within the confines of their own homes. Add to that the distraction of food preparation and cleanup and potential child care that might be going on, which all of these things, you know, the men were not into helping so much with. So this would have been a distraction precisely for the women along with the reality that women were not accustomed to participating in meaningful verbal discourses, as was the cultural practice, you can really start to imagine why the women might've been quite occupied with talking amongst themselves and missing some of the valuable content being delivered during those gatherings. Bearing in mind their limited educational opportunities as well, any sort of structured forum for discussion was likely to be foreign and maybe even boring to lots of them. So Paul addresses the women, and he tells them they're not allowed to speak. So about this speaking business, we know from the context that actually not all speech is the problem, but actually a certain type of speaking that is. There are actually 30 different words in the Greek lexicon that are synonyms for speaking. 30. So specifically, what kind of speaking are women being told not to do? Well, Bristol writes, Paul did not write that women are not to preach or teach or declare or any of the distinctive meaning found in many of those words. Instead, Paul wrote that women are not to laleo. If someone wished to write in Greek this sentence, please do not talk during the prayers. The verb would have to be laleo. And this is the verb used in this verse. So perhaps it is simply the side conversations the women were having. That Paul is addressing here. He goes on to talk about them being silent, or at least that's what our translations say. There's actually a certain type of silence that Paul is requesting here as well. Just like there's a certain type of speaking that he is restricting, he's requesting a certain type of silence. And there's a few different words for silence in the Greek. And the one that Paul uses, segeo, is a sort of voluntary self-restraint, like when you're choosing to be polite. So when Paul says women should remain silent in the churches, he's not asking for universal silence. He's asking for attentiveness. This is the same word used in verses 28 and in 32 when Paul is calling for order and attentiveness when people are sharing prophecies and speaking in tongues. In this case, however, he's simply asking them to stop talking when a church meeting is going on. Let's not assume that all of the side conversations are completely off topic. In a classroom, a chatty student is often a student who is confused and seeking clarity on further explanation from classmates. But as we've discussed in the previous episodes five and six, Paul is careful to protect the reputation of the church against accusations of immorality between men and women. Women did not question or have discussions with men who were outside of their family because this was considered, as scholar Craig Keener notes, horrible behavior, reflecting possible flirtatious designs and subverting the moral order of the state. By contrast, meekness and shyness in women were considered honorable. Because women's public speech was sometimes shameful in Corinth, one cannot simply assume that Paul's claim that it is shameful for a woman to speak in the assembly is meant to be transcultural any more than his earlier injunction to cover their heads or his later one to greet one another with a holy kiss. Paul always tries to do the best within certain cultures to fit in, not offend anybody while still forwarding the message of the gospel. And that's likely what's going on here. The other reason Paul may have given this advice to the women is because it was also considered disgraceful or shameful to ask unlearned questions. This was before the days of the expression, there's no such thing as a stupid question. In Paul's day, there was, and asking unlearned questions risked revealing your ignorance while also disrupting the flow of the discourse or lesson. It's like asking a question in class that reveals you didn't actually do the reading assignment, or it's so unrelated that interrupts and distracts from the gains that are being made by the rest of the class. Again, we've talked about this some in episodes five and six, with reference to a similar passage in 1 Timothy. Given the fact that women had vastly fewer educational opportunities, it would stand to reason that they might have lots of questions and possibly quite elementary ones at that. Rather than expressing disdain for women and conclude that they lack the capability to learn, as other ancient writers and philosophers sometimes suggested, Paul devises a plan where husbands serve as the tutors of their wives. I'm not suggesting that this is a universal mandate that husbands become tutors for their wives or that this is the most ideal way for female students to learn, but considering all the social barriers placed between women and education at this time, Paul's plan makes a way for women to learn all the things their husbands have learned in a discreet and culturally acceptable way. So let's pull this all together. In order to understand what Paul means by what he says, We had to look at the actual words in the passage, consider their best connotation and synthesize the meaning. So what does he mean? I think he's saying, women pay attention. You are part of this too. If you need help, it's best to get some extra help from your own husband, not someone else's at home. So you don't interrupt the flow of the gathering with all of your questions or come across as flirting with the other husbands. This was probably obvious to the original audience, but when you add 2000 years to a situation, you might need to do a little research to fill in the pieces of the conversation that seem foreign to us. We have to do this even when explaining a text message or an email to a third party today, something that happened yesterday. So it's certainly reasonable to occasionally have to do this when figuring out the meaning of ancient documents. So there you have it. If you're good, I'm good. However, if you're tuned into this podcast, I know that there's a chance that you have also heard some try to explain these verses in ways that reinforce the so-called complementarian view that often ends up marginalizing and restricting the ways in which women can serve. Earlier in the show, we heard one such view in the snippet I shared from the sermon by the influential pastor, John MacArthur. I wanted to respond more fully to views like his own in a follow-up episode to this one. So, please be sure to check out the next episode, number 17, to get to know how complementarians have handled this passage. I hope that in exploring both sides of this issue, that you will have an even better handle on this particular passage of scripture and on this particular topic of biblical equality in general. I will leave you with a few verses from chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, where Paul writes, For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech, and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And don't forget to check out the next episode for a follow up of today's discussion. If you're able to share a rating or review in your podcast provider, I would really appreciate if you did that. And of course, if you enjoyed this episode or any of the others, please share it with a friend. Thanks.